Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the blessings of the day, for your Sabbath. We pray that you will always certainly be with this assembly and and help us to strive to do your will, to follow you always. Father, we thank you for the blessings you have bestowed upon this ministry, and we pray that you would continue to bless those here and bless those afar who watch and participate. We thank you for your son, Yashua. We thank you for getting the blessings, and we ask all this in Yashua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. I'd like to uh, welcome everybody here today. Certainly an extended welcome to those uh, watching afar and to those who might be new. Or today, as you see on the screen, we're going to be speaking about the rapture. Don't believe the lie. Now, when I say rapture, I want to clarify what I mean. This is referring to the pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, before the tribulation occurs, the uh, concept is Yahshua's going to come down. He's going to secretly rapture all true believers to heaven. When this happens, only the wicked and possibly the ignorant will remain and will then wait for the return for the second coming of the Messiah. Now, besides this belief not being found scripturally, and that's obviously the biggest issue, but I also believe it brings a false hope. It brings a false hope. It's dangerous. It gives people a hope into believing that they're going to escape the persecution of the tribulation. When we know, and as we'll see, this is not true. As we see in scripture, some will suffer through the tribulation. Some will even die, it says, as, as a witness or a testimony to their faith. So again, we see this belief conveying this false hope, which inevitably will, I believe, also cause some to lose, lose faith, lose hope. If they believe that Yahshua is going to come and resurrect them and or rapture them to heaven, and lo and behold, the tribulation comes, and no Yahshua, no Messiah, I can see many, many people questioning their faith, losing hope, losing faith. So who is the one responsible for this more than any other? Who's the person who really established this concept known as the rapture? Many believe that it goes back to a man named John Nelson Darby, a theologian in the 19th century who developed this doctrine known as the rapture. It was then taken by C.L. Schofield and added to the Schofield Reference Bible, which was published in 1909. Now, just as a side note, Schofield also popularized dispensationalism and also the gap theory, so he really did a lot of harm, I believe, and and uh, what he did with his uh, Bible. I'd like to begin today our journey reviewing some of the passages that are used to support this notion of the rapture. So let's do that now. So the first passage, and, and certainly the most often used, is First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. Now, I want you to listen to the language here. And you... Consider the thought of this being a secret rapture. It says, For the master himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of Elohim, and the dead and Messiah shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the master in the air, and so shall we ever be with the master. So what do we see here? Or what we see here is that those or many believe, let me back up a little bit here, many will say that this passage is showing that Yahshua's going to come in a secret rapture. 
He is going to, again, bring those, to snatch those people away, bring them back to heaven. Now, for them, the key phrase here is caught up, caught up. It's real important that we understand this, that it comes from the Greek herpadzo, herpadzo. So they'll really focus on this word herpadzo, and this, again, this concept that Yahshua's going to return. He's going to secretly snatch up those elect or those believers and, again, bring them back to heaven. So let's understand this Greek word harpazo. What does it mean within the Greek? Or here's how the Thayer's Greek lexicon defines it. It says to uh, seize, to carry off by force, to seize on, to claim for oneself eagerly, or number three, to snatch out or to snatch away. So does this phrase and this word harpazo and what we find here from Paul does this describe a secret rapture? This concept that Yahshua's going to come secretly, no one knowing, unawares, and again snatch those from the earth and bring them back to heaven? Well, the answer is no. Or what then is Paul describing? Number one, it's important to note that harpazo, this Greek word where we receive the phrase to, to, uh, to uh, cut up, simply implies Joshua will raise the elect at his coming. It doesn't imply that they're going to go back to heaven. It simply implies that Yahshua's going to come and he's going to snatch up those elect when he returns. There's nothing again saying here that they're going to go back to heaven. Number two, from the description, it should be pretty clear here that this is anything but a secret. Did you pick up on that? Did you, did you, did you see the language here and realize that this is not a secret? You know, for instance, it says here that Yahshua's coming. It says that his return is going to be announced by the shout of an archangel and the trumpet of Elohim. Now, this is anything but a secret. Everybody is going to hear this trumpet. Everybody is going to hear this voice. Everybody is going to see this coming when Yahshua returns. You know, why would they be shouting in a blast of a trumpet if this is describing a supposedly secret snatching away to heaven, as so many believe? Or again, it's simply not in, in, in Scripture. You know, the other issue here is that Yahshua says, will resurrect the dead, followed then by the living. Now, think about this for just a moment. If the rapture is to remove and protect the saints, those who are yet alive from the coming tribulation, why then resurrect the dead? What's the purpose of resurrecting the dead if they're dead? After all, Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 said, For the living know that they shall die but the dead know not anything. So where's the reason for resurrecting the dead if the purpose is to snatch away those that are still alive to give them freedom from the tribulation? Where if the dead is obvious, <laughs> the, you know, is, is not going to go through the coming tribulation, there's no point. So if Paul's not referring to the rapture, what then is Paul referring to here? What is he speaking about? Where he's speaking about the second coming. The second coming. He's speaking about his return, when he will come and when he will resurrect the saints from this earth. But as we know also from scripture, it says that on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. We find that in Zechariah chapter 14. So we know that when Yahshua returns in his second coming, that he is going to come, that he is going to resurrect the saints, and then he will then come down to this earth. 
and stand on the Mount of Olives. This is not describing a secret rapture. It is describing the second coming of Yahshua. Now, what's really the difference between these two? What's the difference between the rapture and the second coming? Or, you know, I would say time and destination. The rapture supposedly occurs before the tribulation, maybe midway through the tribulation, where the second coming, as we find in Scripture, refers to the end of the tribulation. It's all about timing. Yahshua returns at the end, not in the beginning or in the middle of the tribulation. Or the rapture states again that the elect, that the saints, will be snatched away to heaven. Where Scripture, though, shows again in places like Zechariah, that when he returns, that he is going to continue down to the Mount of Olives, as we see in the book of Zechariah and other places. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, it's a really important passage. Revelation 5, verse 10 specifically says that the saints will dwell on earth. The saints will dwell on earth. You know, many people are confused with this because they assume they believe based on 2,000 years of tradition that we're going to be in heaven during this time. Even a very large seventh or a Sabbath keeping organization believes this. And yes, scripture says during this time that they're going to be dwelling on earth as a kingdom of priests, according to Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. So based on this, what do we find then? Or number one, Yahshua's coming will be announced by the shout of an archangel and the trump, it says, of Elohim. So again, anything but secret, very noticeable, very public. Number two, Yahshua will resurrect first the dead, followed by the living. With this in mind, there's no reason for this to be freedom from the suffering of the great tribulation. These people are dead, and yet we see that he will resurrect first the dead, then the living. Number three, the resurrected saints, we know, will meet Yahshua in the ear, and then, as we've already talked about, they will then come down with him, to the Mount of Olives, where they will reign and rule for the 1,000 years of the millennial kingdom. So that's what we find in Scripture. Again, this concept of a secret rapture is nowhere to be found. And yet this is really the main passage many use. They will read this, never recognizing or uh, the, the fact that, again, it's anything but a secret. Now, many will also use another passage of Matthew, Matthew 24, verse 40. This is very very common, and uh, Matthew 20, verse 40 says, Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not what your hour your master doth come. So again, many will say here, based on the evidence, or based on what Yahshua says here in the Olivet of Prophecy, that one is going to be taken, and as one is going to be left, now the one taken supposedly is again snatched away. The one taken is taken to heaven. Now, is this what we find here? Does scripture support this notion? Does scripture support this concept that those taken here are taken to heaven, taken to a place of refuge, taken to a place of safety? What do we think? You know, it's so important as believers. It is so, so important as believers that we read the entire passage. Uh, the privilege this morning of recording a program with uh, James, Brother James and, and Elder Allen, and we talked about that, the importance of, of looking at Scripture from a holistic standpoint, reading everything, not just the one verse, but looking at everything. And when we do that here, we're going to realize that this is not speaking about a secret snatching away, that this is not referring to a rapture to heaven, 
No, that's not what we find here. Well, let's back up to verse 36. Matthew chapter 24. This is the Olivet Prophecy again, by the way. Very important prophecy within Scripture. In my opinion, it's one of the most important prophecies we find. Or Matthew 24, 36 through 39 says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but the Father only. Now, we know, by the way, this includes Yahshua the Messiah. Yahshua does not know the day of his coming. Well, now, why is that important? Well, number one, it shows that the Father and Son are not the same being. If they were the same being, they would both know the same thing. And as we see here, the Father does not, or the Son does not know, but the Father knows only. Not even the angels knows the timing of his coming. It goes on to say, but as the days of Noah were. So this is the context. We're speaking about the days of Noah. The days of Noah. So we're making an analogy here to Noah's day. It says, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So just as we saw during the days of Noah, during the flood, we're going to see something similar to when Yahshua the Messiah returns. It says, for as in the days that were before the flood, it says that they were eating and drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. And so also, and shall also, the coming of the Son of Man be. So what comparison is the Messiah making here? Or he's comparing his coming to what? He's comparing his coming to the days of Noah. He's comparing his coming to the flood of Noah. Just as people were eating, they were drinking, they were doing everything but for what they should have been doing, and that was for and that, that would have been following Yahweh, doing his will. They were doing everything but. And according to Yahshua, according to the Messiah, we're going to see this same pattern before his coming. People are going to be eating, they're going to be drinking, they're going to be ignoring their creator. You know, I believe that we're seeing many of these signs in our own day and age. If we look at prophecy, if we look at the word, you know, Paul speaks about so many sins in the latter days, and all of these things will occur. And of course, we see what we see here with the day, with the, within the Olivet Prophecy. I believe that many, many of these prophecies seem to be coming to pass. You know, people today have no fear. They have no concern for their creator. I'm a very staunch believer that we as human beings should fear the one that created us. People don't believe that, though. They, they believe that we're to reverence him, that we're to stand in awe of him, and we're to do this and that. We're sure we're to, we should reverence him, absolutely. But we should also stand in fear of him. You know, Scripture says that we're to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like simple reverence. To me, that sounds like we should be trembling before the one who made us. We should fear our Father in heaven. And yeah, I believe it's that fear of Yahweh that restrains the carnal nature of mankind. When we lose the fear of Yahweh, we lose that motivation to restrain our flesh. You know, Paul said that unless I put my flesh into bondage, he said that he himself could become a castaway that he himself could be rejected. So the fear of Yahweh is so important, and I, I think we're, we're seeing that quickly dissipate in this nation of ours. And because of that, I think as a natural result, we're seeing a rise in immorality. When we lose the fear of Yahweh, we, ri- we, we see an increase in immorality. So what, what we saw during the days, days of Noah, we will see again, it says, right before the coming 
of our Savior. Now, what happened to those who were taken in the days of Noah? Were they snatched away to heaven? Were they taken to a place of refuge or safety? No, the the ones taken were taken to their death. And that's what we find here in this passage, which says one is taken, one is left. Those taken are taken to their death. It is not taken to a place of refuge or to a place of safety. They died in the flood. Where this same fate will also be true for those who rebel against Yahweh at Yahshua's coming. So as we see here, Yahshua is not referring to a rapture. He's not referring to a secret snatching away. Yahshua is referring to his coming. Again, his coming. And he's speaking about the condition of those who defy him. And he says that just as those who defied me during the days of Noah and died as a result, the same will happen and occur when I return. We simply need to read the context, understand the passage. Now Mark chapter 13 verse 32 is another attempt to prove this rapture belief. It says there, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son of Man, but the Father take you heed. Watch and pray, he says. Or certainly we should be doing that as believers, right? Watching and praying and taking heed. It says, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work. And you know, he's done that for us. You know, I believe for many of us, he's given us our own commissions, our own duties, ways we can help, ways we can further his work. You don't have to be a minister, by the way, to do the work. There's many, many ways to help with the message and to see this truth go out. You don't need to be here behind the pulpit to to uh, complete this task. goes on to say, as I commanded the porter to watch, watch you therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes, at even, or at midnight, or the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly we, he find you sleeping. And what say I unto you, I say unto all, watch. Now, according to many, this passage is also indicating a secret rapture. They will point out here and they will emphasize the fact that Yahshua is telling us to watch and also that we don't know the timing of his coming. We can't predict when he's going to return. And you know what? That's true. We can't predict when he's going to return. We don't know when he's going to come back. We certainly know there are signs, but we also know that scripture says nobody knows the day or the hour of his return. So the concept here is we're to watch but again, many based on this premise alone will say this is evidence for this secret is snatching away for this rapture concept. But the reality is here is there's nothing, there's nothing within this passage that describes a secret snatching away. Yahshua is simply saying here to be ready. He's encouraging us to make sure that our spiritual walk is ready, that we're not asleep that we're not negligent, that we're not going partial way with his truth. Again, the only thing he says here in reference to what many would consider the rapture is we know not the timing of his coming, or we don't know the timing again, and that is more the reason 
to always ensure that our faith and our walk is in line with his word. Now the message here again is that we're to be alert, we're to be cognizant of Yahshua's coming and our salvation, that we're not to be negligent. So many people, they think, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get more religious next week or maybe next year or maybe when this changes within my life, I will do better than what I'm doing now. Whereas believers, now is the time. We don't wait till tomorrow. We don't wait until next week. We don't wait until next year. You know, I believe that if Yahweh is calling us, and I believe that if you're hearing this message, he is calling you. It is time to devote your life to him. And look, I realize that in many cases this requires a sacrifice. I've seen some people go through a whole lot. I've seen people give up a lot for the faith. But in my opinion, it's worth it. It's worth whatever sacrifice it requires. The destination is worth it. Yahweh's kingdom is worth it. But again, as we see here, Yahshua, the message here is an emphatic to watch, to be ready, to make sure our lives are in line with his word, not to dabble, not to dabble. You know, we all know, Yahshua, or most of us do anyway, that the warning to the Laodiceans, Yahshua said there that, that I would rather you be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. And he says, for those who are lukewarm, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spew you, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So in other words, Yahshua is saying, I want you to be on fire for me. Where he says, I want you to do nothing at all. But don't go partial way. Don't go halfway with my word. If you're going to follow me, do it right or do nothing at all. All too often, people only go partial way. Now, many people also point to Enoch. Enoch is proof for the rapture. We see a passage in Hebrews that many refer to. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews 11, for those who don't know, this is known as a faith chapter, a great, great chapter. It, it um, explains and, and, and shows all the great examples of faith we find in the Old Testament, both men and women, and how they contributed. But here in Hebrews 11, verse 5, it says this, By faith Enoch was translated, he was translated, that he should not see death, and was not found because Elohim had translated him, and before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased Elohim. So many will say, based on this, it will focus on this word translated or translation, and they will say that he was raptured. You know, just as those will be raptured with this secret rapture, Yahshua's coming, that Enoch was raptured because he pleased Yahweh. Or is this the message we find though in Scripture? Was Enoch raptured to heaven? Was he raptured? Was he snatched away and taken to a place of refuge before he died? Or this is what many believe. Now, the word translated here comes from the Greek, metathethemi, and means to transfer or to transport. And what's interesting is this, Acts 7, verse 16, this is referring to Jacob's death. So I'm not going to read it, but you can look at it later, but Acts 7, verse 16, referring to Jacob's death. And it says that he was carried over to Shechem. He was carried over. Now, the word carried over is the same Greek word, the same Greek word. So we see here that Jacob was carried over, that he too was translated. 
But in the case of a Jacob, it's not referring to snatching away to a place of refuge. It's referring to a place of death. So that is what we find this Greek word translated does not convey always this concept of just a carryover. It can also refer to this concept of taking a person to their place of death. And that's what we find with Enoch, that he translated him that he would not see death. Now, the other word here is see, comes from the Greek word ido or ido. It's one definition offered by Thayer's is this, to experience any state or condition. So what we see here is Enoch, Yahweh translated, he brought Enoch to this condition of death without him experiencing this, this state. But again, this is not referring to a secret snatching away. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that Enoch was not snatched away? Or again, as context, we need to read the entire passage. We see here at the very end of this verse, or near the middle, that everybody mentioned within this passage that they all died. Not one of them received the promise. Not one of them received the promise. Well, let's read that. So Hebrews 11, verse 13, it says, These all died. So notice the word all there. What does all mean? All means everybody, right? Everybody mentioned here died, it says, died in faith. Enoch, he was a great man. It says he pleased Yahweh. And he had faith in Yahweh. But it also says here in verse 13, including Enoch, that all of these people mentioned, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. You know, sometimes I I, uh, feel like this is a really good description of us, pilgrims, strangers on this earth. I know we're citizens, or most of us anyway, this country here in the USA, but, but we're still pilgrims. We're waiting for our kingdom. This kingdom, our kingdom has not come yet. We're waiting for a greater kingdom, and that kingdom is Yahweh's kingdom. So we see here that it says that all of these great people, these great men and women, died in faith, with not one receiving the promise, but they're waiting. They're waiting for the promise. They're waiting for the kingdom to come. Where obviously this would include Enoch. If all of them died without receiving the promise, we see Enoch mentioned. So Enoch, too, did not receive the promise. So from this, we can again say that Enoch died and was not snatched away, as so many believed, to heaven where he, then, where he remains today. Many believe that he will even be one of the two witnesses in some cases. Now, another passage often used is in Jude. Jude chapter 1 verse 14 says, And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, Yahweh cometh within with ten thousands of his saints. Now, the common notion here is that the word saints refers to the elect or the chosen of mankind. That's what they're going to say. They're going to say, look, here's evidence that Yahshua is going to snatch away the elect that he's going to snatch away the saints of mankind. And then the saints, they're going to return with him when he returns at his second coming. So how do we explain this? How do we explain this? Is this referring to the saints, the believers, the elect? Or is there something maybe we're missing with this? Well, the word, the uh, saints here, in uh, Greek is hagios. Hagios. Strong's defines this word as simply sacred. 
Thayer's Greek lexicon says a most holy thing. Now, it's true, it's true that hagios is often used in reference to believers. Because again, should not we be holy? Should not we be sacred? Should we not be pursuing these qualities that exhibit Yahweh? Of course we should. But this phrase hagios does not only refer to mankind. This phrase hagios is also used in other ways. In, 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 in the New Testament, we see it's also used in reference to angels. I want to give you three examples. Three examples. So first one is uh, Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25 is right after the Olivet Prophecy. Yahshua is still speaking parables to, to the disciples. It says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy or hagios angels with him, then shall he set upon the throne of his glory. So what is this referring to? This passage is speaking about the second coming. It is speaking about when Yahshua returns to this earth. And it says here that when he returns in glory, that he, when he returns to establish his father's kingdom on this earth, that he's going to return with who? That he's going to return with his holy angels, his hagios angels. So here we see a connection with this Greek word hagios and angels. And, by the way, Yahshua's coming. Mark chapter 8, verse 38 is another example. It says, Whosoever therefore should be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Hagios angels. These angels that are set apart and holy into Yahweh. But we see again this word Hagios in reference to angels and also in reference to Yahshua's second coming. Again, the saints are not going to return with Yahshua's coming. The saints are going to be resurrected at Yahshua's coming. Those who will return with Yahshua's coming are, are the angels. Are the angels not mankind. Therefore, last one here, Acts 10, verse 22 says, And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth Elohim and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from Elohim by a holy angel to send for thee into his holy house and to hear words of thee. So here we're speaking. This is Cornelius. We all know the story. He was a great man. He was the first Gentile convert, according to many. And he was told by an angel, a holy angel, to go send for one called Simon Peter. Now the point here is that we see this word holy and angel together, showing that hagios can also again refer to angels and not simply to mankind and not to the elect. So again, those who say that, that what we see there in Jude refers to mankind because of the word of saints is hagios. It's hagios. It's holy or sacred. It doesn't refer to mankind exclusively. There's other interpretations for that. And certainly when we look at the evidence for, from the Bible, we don't see evidence that Yahshua's going to return with the saints. Again, he's going to resurrect the saints that is coming. Matter of fact, we see an example of this in, in the Olivet Prophecy. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, 29 through 31 says, immediately after the tribulation. So, so what are we talking about here? What is, what is a time of this prophecy? Where it says immediately after the tribulation. This is speaking about after the tribulation, after the great tribulation. It says, of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. So we see that the luminaries in the skies will grow dark when Yahshua returns. It says, the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. 
Now listen to what it says. This is Yahshua's description of his coming. This is how it's going to occur. It says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. In heaven. So when we look up in the skies, we're referring to heavens. It says, he's going to come, and we're going to see his appearance. It says, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Why do you suppose they're going to mourn, by the way? They're going to mourn because they're going to realize that now they're in danger. Because by and large, this world will not be in compliance to Yahweh's word. By and large, this world will be in rebellion to Yahweh's word. So when he comes, he's going to come with vengeance. When he comes, we know the scripture says that he will come in judgment. He's not going to come with flowers. He's going to come in judgment. It says, and they shall see the man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And notice this. He says, and he shall send his angels. His angels. Does it say he's going to send the elect? No, it says he's going to send the angels. The angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Remember, Paul, 1 Thessalonians 4, speaks of the great trumpet, the trumpet of Elohim, the trumpet. We see the same trumpet here. That when Yahshua returns, that we're going to hear this trumpet. And when they hear the trumpet, it says that they're going to, they're going to gather together his elect, his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So based on this, Yahshua's returning not with the elect of mankind. We see no reference here to the return with saints, with mankind. No, it says that he's going to return with the angels in heaven. But when this occurs, we also see that he's going to send forth his angels. It says at the sound of a trumpet, he's going to send forth his angels, and they're going to go to the four corners of this earth, and they're going to resurrect the saints, those believers in Yahshua. And they're going to then, again, as we've seen already in 1 Thessalonians, they're going to meet Yahshua in the clouds. They're going to then come down with him to this earth. Again, as we find in Zechariah that his feet, it says, on that day shall stand in the Mount of Olives. So again, we see here that the angels will come with Yahshua, not the elect. And besides context, you know, there's another key to good Bible study. The concept is actually found in Isaiah 28.10. It says, Therefore, precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Now, the lesson here is this. We must view Yahweh's word holistically, holistically. In other words, we must look at all the evidence. We should not look at one verse and form an opinion based on that one verse without looking and trying to understand the concept from everything else we find within Scripture. You know, when we do this for Jude, chapter 1, verse 14, you know, it's pretty obvious the saints are not mankind The saints are not mankind. The saints are the angels who will return with Yahshua at his coming, who will then again gather the elect according to the Olivet prophecy, that they will go to the four corners of this earth, they will resurrect the dead, they will change the living, and then they will gather them and bring them back to Yahshua as he then descends to this earth. Now another example that's often used for the rapture is Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. It says here, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, 
Now listen, it says, And I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. And there's the evidence, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So proponents of the rapture will focus on this phrase, and I will also keep you from the hour of temptation as proof for this secret snatching away. Well, the Bible confirms that Yahweh will offer protection for some during that time, during this time. We'll look at that. It doesn't state that all will be blessed with this protection, that they will be avoiding this suffering. All we find here is that our Father in heaven will find what has promised that some will find protection. That's all we find. We don't see a description of the secret rapture to heaven. We see none of this. So the question is, for those who do find safety, where will they find this safety? You know, as we saw in the book of Isaiah, questions like this really require a holistic approach. And uh, one of the passages, there's actually three passages. I'm going to review one today. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, we see that the Bible does promise protection for some. This is a phenomenal prophecy. This is such a wonderful prophecy uh, of, of the latter days uh, of the tribulation. It says, and to the woman, and the woman, I believe, is, these are the saints. The woman represents the saints. It says, we're, we're given two wings of a great eagle, the meat that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time. So again, time, times, a half a time. It's three and a half years. From the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth waters of flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away with of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth or angry with the woman, and went to make war with a remnant or a seed. Now listen to this. Here's how scripture defines a saint. It's amazing that more nominal worship miss this notion that it requires more than faith alone. It says, which keep the commandments of Yahweh and have the testimony of Yahshua the Messiah. You see, if we're going to be found worthy, if we're going to be found worthy when Yahshua returns, we need to be doing two things. Number one, we need to be obeying the commandments. We need to be obeying Yahweh's word. And number two, we need faith in Yahshua. You see, it's not one or the other. Many people believe, or if you're obeying the commandments, you must be a Jew or you must be a legalist. And the others believe that you need to simply rely on him, put your faith in him, do nothing, trust in him alone. Where neither one is true. Scripture says that we must obey the commandments and have faith in our Savior Yahshua the Messiah. Now, there are several things to note here. Number one, Yahweh says that this woman, which again, I believe represents the elect of believers, will be given two wings of an eagle, the meat that she might fly, it says, into the wilderness. Now, understand here that the language is symbolic. It's not literal, it's symbolic language. The woman here, again, represents believers, those keeping the commandments and also holding to the faith of Yahshua the Messiah. The wings of the eagle, this represents Yahweh's provision and his protection. Yeah, this is also an example of the amazing continuity we find between old and new. Have you ever, I mean, I, I know most of you here, you understand this, con- it's, it's amazing the continuity we find between old and new testament. 
So many people, they look at the old as this old and archaic book, and the new as something entirely different. That's not what we find scripturally. What we find scripturally is that they harmonize. They harmonize. And this is an example on, on, on where they harmonize. Exodus 19 verse 4 says this. this is, and this is describing how Yahweh took the Israelites out into the wilderness. It says, And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. You know, just as Yahweh brought Israel out into the wilderness, look, with the wings of an eagle, we find here prophetically that he will do the same thing. He's going to do the same thing in the latter days. He's going to take the, using the wings of the eagle, symbolically, again, representing his, his protection, his provision. He's going to bring them out to a place of safety, just as he did for Israel of old. So some will find safety. Some will find safety. We also see this promise, by the way, in Isaiah and also Zephaniah. This promise that Yahweh is going to hide us in the day of trouble. Hide us in the day of trouble. Understand also that the wilderness doesn't refer to heaven here. Wilderness refers to a place on earth. I don't know where this place is. Some say it's Petra. I don't really believe that. But it's somewhere on earth. And maybe it's many places on earth. I don't know. He's going to take us, though, in a place of refuge, it says, a place of safety as he did for Israel. Now, we also see here a time. It says that he's going to take this woman into the wilderness. It says for a time, times, and a half a time. Now, the time represents one year. The times represents two years. And the half a time represents half a year. That's three and a half years. So the three and a half years of the tribulation, we see here the great tribulation, Yahshua is going to take us out. Yahshua is going to take us out and bring us to a place of safety, a place of refuge, just as he did for Israel of old. Now it also says here that at this time he will nourish us. Now, I don't know about you, but I get excited when I see this, this, these promises, nourish us. He says, nourish us in the wilderness. Where this word, it comes from the Greek, trepho, and it literally means to feed or fatten. To feed or fatten. So we see here a promise. He's going to take this woman, the elect. He's going to take the elect into a place of wilderness for three and a half years where he will then feed them, where he will then nourish them. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 speaks about Yahshua providing hidden manna. Hidden manna. You know, just as, Israel brought, uh, just as Yahweh brought Israel out into the wilderness and fed her with manna, I believe he's going to do the same thing in the latter days. I believe that he's going to take a lot of the elect, he's going to take them to places where a place of safety and refuge, and he's going to rain down manna as he did once before. I really do believe that. Again, Revelation 2 verse 17 speaks about a hidden manna. We know from a historical standpoint that assembly never received hidden man. I believe that this is a prophetic message for the latter days. That just as Yahweh did for Israel, he will do again for his elect. Just as he again brought them out into the wilderness from the Egyptians and was able, he was able to feed them and provide for them. He can certainly do the same for us and he will do the same for us. So while the Bible doesn't promise a rapture, a secret snatching away, it does promise protection for many. Many will be spared the suffering but others will go through it. Others will suffer. Again, we know, that, we know that some will die as a testimony to their faith. You know what? Let's read that. I don't have this on the slide. It, you can either listen or just uh, turn with me. It doesn't matter. Uh, Revelation chapter 6. 
Revelation chapter 6, this is a reference to the six seals. And the first four seals are the first four horsemen. And we believe those represents deception, probably the man of sin, war, famine, and pestilence, or death. Now we also find here a fifth seal. And it says in verse 9 of Revelation 6, it says, And when, the, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altars the souls of them that were slain for the word of Elohim and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Yahweh, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes, I believe in representing salvation, white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So we see that some will be protected. Some will be taken into this place of refuge, this wilderness, where they will remain for three and a half years and be fed and provided for. Others, as we see here, will die as a testimony to their faith. There's one more passage since we're on this topic. Let's just keep turning. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. In verse 4, it says, I saw the thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yahshua and for the word of Yahweh, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Messiah a thousand years. So again, as we see in the six seals, the fifth seal, some will die as a testimony, just as those in the Old Testament had to die for their faith. And as we see here in Revelation referring to beheading, which will occur evidently by the man of sin and during his kingdom. That those who are beheaded, those who lose their lives, will find their lives. And you know, that's precisely what we find also Yahshua saying. He says, those who lose their lives shall find their lives. So as a promise, we should really take comfort in that even if we suffer in this horrific way, that we know scripturally that Yahweh does promise and provide great hope. Great hope, knowing that we will be resurrected. I want to look at another uh, parable. A parable. And this really, again, shows why the, why the rapture can't possibly be right. It's contradictory to what we see in Scripture. So Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 24, says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, well, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tears also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in your field? From whence then hath it tears? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servants said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up. But he said, Nay, or no, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather you together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them. But gather the wheat 
into my barn. Now, what does all this symbolize? You know, Yahshua often spoke in parables, by the way. And why did Yahshua do this? You know, some, it was not meant for them to understand the truth. And that's why Yahshua said he did this, because some, it was not meant for them to hear and to understand. So he would speak in parables. So those who were meant to hear and understand, they would understand the parables. So that's why often why Yahshua spoke in parables. So what is all this symbolized here? Where the person who sowed the good seed, or this represents Yahshua the Messiah. The field represents the world. The good seed symbolizes those believers in the Messiah, and the bad seed represents those of the wicked one, represents the rebellious, the incorrigible. The enemy represents the devil, and the reapers represents the angels in heaven. So there's a message, there's a deeper message within this parable that Yahshua gave. So what do we find here? What we see here is this. At Yahshua's coming, it says the angels, the reapers, will first gather the tares of the wicked, and they will bind them together, and they will burn them. And when they do this, then they will gather the elect, the weed, those who are called and chosen of Almighty Yahweh. So notice again that number one is the angels of heaven, and not the saints that return with Yahshua the Messiah. Again, showing, the, uh, showing this concept as we see in Jude chapter verse 14 is, is not right. This is not referring to humankind or saints, but to angels. Number two, we see here that the wicked are destroyed before the righteous are gathered. This is such an important point to realize. The wicked are gathered and destroyed prior to the, prior to the righteous. You know, unless I'm missing something, Yahshua here seems to be contradicting this very notion of the rapture. Because, again, the rapture says that Yahshua is going to secretly come and he's going to snatch people away and awares, and they're going to be with him in heaven, and then he's going to come back at a second coming, and he's going to bring the saints with him, and that's when he will destroy the wicked. What we see here, though, is something vastly different. What we see here is that when Yahshua does return, he's not going to gather the elect, He's going to first burn the wicked, and then he will gather the elect. So again, we, 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 don't, we don't see the rapture theory here. We see contradiction. Now, another fact that the Bible brings out, and we sort of already touched on this, but I want to look at just a few more verses, is that we will, many of us will suffer this, this concept that there's this teaching that exempts Yahweh's people from suffering. It's simply not right. Yahweh's word does promise many will suffer. So let's look at a few examples. Acts 14, verse 22 says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much, what? Tribulation. It says, much tribulation enter into the kingdom of Yahweh. Paul says here that much tribulation is required if we're going to find ourselves within Yahweh's kingdom. Again, the rapture focuses on removing the elect from any tribulation, removing the elect from any suffering, yet we find here the complete opposite. Now, even though many of the saints will be protected, we, we, we looked at that in the wilderness, and as we see here, some will suffer. Some will suffer. And we also saw this already in the fifth seal of Revelation also in Revelation 20, referring to those who are beheaded. So you see the... Tribulation is seven years. The last part is called the Great Tribulation. This is really when the persecution will begin. He has a closing passage. I want to return to Yahshua's Olivet Prophecy. Yahshua's Olivet Prophecy. 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. It says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. Now keep in mind that this is speaking about the tribulation. This is speaking about the tribulation. This is not speaking about 2,000 years ago. This is speaking about right before Yahshua's return. And it says, Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. This is a prophecy. This is a prophecy about the end of days. This is a prophecy specifically referring to the time right before the coming and the return of Yahshua the Messiah. What does Yahshua say here? He says that at this time we will be hated, we will be afflicted, and some of us will die and be killed for the faith. You know, it's important that as Yahweh's people we realize that we'll suffer from trials and tribulation because it's important to realize that we must remain strong, that we must be resolute in our faith, that we must be resolute in our commitment to the one we worship. You know, as Joshua was told by Yahweh, he said to be of good courage, to be strong and of good courage. And I convey the same message to those of you here and those listening. It's important that we as believers are strong and that we are of good courage. And I don't know when this time will come, known as the tribulation, but I do believe it will come. Now, maybe it's 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now. I don't know. I don't generally give times, but I do believe it's coming. I do believe things are getting worse. I do believe that we're seeing many of the prophetic signs coming to pass. I do believe that now is not the time to be asleep. It's not the time to be negligent with our faith. If we're going to be found worthy, we must stand strong stand in boldness. Yeah, I know some of you out there believe that you've been persecuted. And I'm not saying that we haven't suffered in some ways, some of you more than others. But I would say that none of us know the persecution that we may see in these latter days. And if we can't hold strong today with whatever trials or sufferings we have, there's no way we're going to hold true to Yahweh in these latter days. So it's important that we again, are committed. Time may be short. It's imperative that as believers we understand that there's no easy way out. And we, as those before us, that we may suffer for Yahweh's kingdom's sake. And will we have the fortitude to, to hold fast to that which we've committed to? Again, not only is this belief of the rapture absent from Scripture, my big issue is, with it is that it offers false hope that it brings us false security to those who believe it. And if they find themselves during this time and they're believing and they're having faith that Yahshua's going to return secretly and snatch them away, and if that day never comes and they realize that they're here and they're going to have to go through this tribulation, will they lose and throw away their faith? You know, as believers, we're told to prove all things show wisdom and discretion in our walk. May we do this. May we study always to show ourselves approved and stand in faith, willing and able to overcome for the glory of Yahweh's kingdom. That is what we're all striving to do. That is why we're here. That is why we get up every morning and strive to follow Yahweh for the, for the blessings of that coming kingdom. May Yahweh bless you.